Amen. That's what we're here to do. We've had the door to the garners open. Brother Ram talks about the little mouse, you know, in the granary down in Egypt. He didn't eat sparingly thinking that we'd, he'd run out of grain. You know, the garners were full. He thought, well, I just, I'll have a jubilee every day. That's how a real Christian ought to be. Right. He's opened the door to the Father's supply. He said, Amen. eat to your heart's desire. Amen. He said, how do I do that, Brother Andrew? You're the preacher that prepared. Well, you pull and you'll get fed. It ain't got nothing to do with me. I just happen to be the vessel that's here. Amen. Amen. I just want to give you a little update on, on uh, Brother Virgilio. This morning we had prayer for him. And, and uh, we're happy to say that, you know, this morning he, was, he went into the ICU and uh, he needed 100% oxygen. But now it's down to half. So we praise the Lord for that. Amen. He's, he's on, as they say, he's on the mend. By the grace of God. Amen. We're certainly thankful that the Lord answers prayer. Amen. The Bible says, The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen. God bless you. It's wonderful to be here. Welcome to each one of you, and welcome to those that are streaming. I'm sure Brother Virgilio, Sister Jeanette are streaming as well, and their children. God bless you. And we're looking forward to a full report. Amen. Amen. I want to just also say before we turn to the Word, I... Today is a, is, a, is a day that is special in the eyes of somebody. You sang happy birthday. Who was that for? Eliana? Oh, good. Okay. All right, good. We don't have to sing it again. I wanted, I wanted to come and announce her birthday, and you took it. <laughs> God bless you. So a year ago, she was my little niece, Eliana, and she's a wonderful little light in the family. But uh, amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. We'll just turn to the Word. I don't want to hold you too long. And at the Hebrews chapter 12. Forgive me, I didn't, I didn't hear who happy birthday was for. I was focused on something else, and he's singing happy birthday. Who's that for? <laughs> That's all right. Amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sorry, Brother Mark, I didn't give you any scriptures, but you'll do all right. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. If you, how many just have a need that they want to remember before the Lord and say, Lord, come by my way? We sing that little song, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, Hear My Humble Cry. Why don't you just make it known to Him tonight? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you come by our way tonight. Lord, we sung the psalm, Lord, feed your children. You said if we'd ask for bread, you wouldn't give us a stone. If we asked for fish, you wouldn't give us a serpent. You're a heavenly Father, Jehovah God, God with your family. Father, we just want to humbly sit at your feet tonight. Ask that you just give us according to thy divine will, Lord. And Lord, we surrender our hearts to you, surrender our thoughts, that you would have the full preeminence, Lord. Take the reading of the word now, the hearing of it, Lord. May it be in your hands that you would give the increase. We thank you for each one that's here that could make it, Lord. And 
each one that's tuned in to stream. Father, I ask you bless each one individually according to their need. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's take Hebrews chapter 12. I think last time I spoke, I took verse uh, 13, but we'll go in verse 15. This time, I should jump back, sorry, Brother Mark, to verse 14. Verse 14, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who, want, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Let's turn also over to Luke chapter 15 while I have you standing. Luke chapter 15. Verse 17. Amen. I'd like to try and do the impossible tonight and take it slow enough and also not keep you long. So we'll do our best. Luke chapter 15, verse 17. This is a very familiar, familiar scripture to, I believe, all of us who... It talks about the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, how a man had two sons and one finally just came and said, give me my inheritance, and he went his way. And verse 17 says, and when he came to himself, says when he now was down in the slop in the pig pen eating with the pigs, he lost all of his inheritance and everything. And it says, but when he came to himself, that's a wonderful time. When an individual comes to themselves, it's not that he was insane or clinically insane but he in other words he recognized this is not who he is and when he came to himself he said how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and i perish with hunger and i will arise and go to my father and will say unto him father i have sinned against heaven and before thee and i'm no more worthy to be called thy son Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servant, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and the shoes on his feet. Amen. May the Lord has blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Amen. I want to just take a subject. Maybe it's a little bit different for a, a Sunday evening, but we'll just see how the Lord leads. But I want to take for a title, For a Few Dollars and a Good Time. For a Few Dollars and a Good Time. And I want to just take these couple of scriptures. The first one we read about was speaking about Esau and how Esau sold his birthright 
for a morsel of meat. And how in the end, when he would have inherited the blessing, he could not find a place of repentance. There was no turning back for it. But now we go into another story, a parable, where Jesus begins to speak about the man who had two sons. And we find the prodigal son. And I want to just take notice in verse 18, if you keep your Bibles open, in verse 18 it says, And I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I, I want to just make some distinctions here as we, do, we start to lay a bit of a foundation for you. But here in verse 18, he begins to have an expression of regret. It's not a full repentance in verse 18, but it's an expression of regret. And it had to come to verse 19, where to true repentance, where you begin to come to an attitude of, Lord, I'm not worthy. It's not just that I'm sorry for what I did. It's not just that I regret what I had. But rather, there's such a, a deep sorrow and a grief that he says, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just let me have a little bit of the blessing. Just let me take the smallest place in the house. Let me take the lowest place. So whatever your will is, Lord, that's what I'll take. And really he's expressing in that expression true repentance that when we come to the Lord, it's not just good enough to just have a regret. And say, well, I, yeah, I did wrong. And I, I was wrong in this or I was wrong in that and I regret this and I regret that. That's a good place to come to, but it has to go beyond that in repentance. It has to go to a place of the Lord. I'm willing to just be the lowest place. If it's just the doormat in the house of God, if it's just the foot wash flunky, whatever it is, I'll just take that place, Lord. If I could just have the, 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 the privilege to be in your presence once again, that's what I really want. But in verse 18, he came to a place of just regret. And I want to speak on this for just a moment because it's actually the same place that Achan came to in Joshua chapter 7, verse 20. We won't put it up. You write it down if you want. But Joshua or Achan, so he came to that place where he recognized after they'd casted lots. After they'd gone through and he thought he could hide his sin for so long. But finally he came to a place in verse 20 where he begins to say, Yeah, I've sinned against God and God is righteous and yeah, i done wrong. But he never could find a place to repent. He just began to have an expression. We find in that he was, he, he was already, because it was too late for repentance, he had a space. He had a chance. But it came to a place where all he could do is regret it. And it's not just Achan. There's, there's many more things in there where, where we could even talk about Pharaoh in the midst of the plagues in Exodus chapter 9. I believe it's, it's the plagues of the thunder, the lightning, and the hail that Pharaoh says, I've sinned. I should have let you go before. I've sinned. And, but it's a recognition of regret for something he did, but he never comes to a place of repentance. Because even in that regret, he turns right back around again and goes right back to the same thing again. Because true repentance is a godly sorrow for sin and turning away from it. But it's the same thing for Cain in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 13 after God asks him, What about your brother? Where's your brother? He says, I'm on my brother's keeper. And then God begins to explain to him. His, his blood cries out from the ground. You can't hide from this Cain. You can't run away from it. He begins to pronounce judgment upon Cain. And in all that, Cain says, it's too much for me to bear. I can't bear this. And what is, it? What, what, what is he saying in that? It's, it's an admission of guilt. And he's saying, yes, I deserve this, but I can't take it. It's too much for me to bear the guilt of what I've done. You're going to have to lessen it off for me. But we find that in all of it, he never found a place of repentance. He went out and lived as a vagabond. 
But now if you keep going down, you find out that that also Judas in Matthew chapter 27 verse 4, when he cast the money back into the temple, he came to this same place of regret where he recognized, I did the wrong thing. He thought originally that maybe he'd done something where God could have a great testimony, but he realized in this moment, I've done the wrong thing, so I'll take this money, I'll throw it back in the temple and say, I'm free of this, but he couldn't find a place of repentance. He admitted he was wrong and regretted it, but never were able to come there. But, but in such a, in such a difference, there's such a difference between regret and real repentance. As regret really is an admission of your wrong, but repentance is so much deeper than that. But he said, no, it wasn't, I'll say this, in all of these men, and this might be a bold statement, all of these men, it wasn't the literal act of sin that these men did that caused them to find no repentance. It wasn't because they'd done wrong. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory. We've all fallen and come short of the glory. We've all been born in sin, shaped in iniquity, came in this world speaking lies. We've all done things that are wrong. So it's not that someone was sinful that caused them so they couldn't find a place. But rather it's because each one of them knew the truth. And made a choice to not value the word of God in their day. They made a choice to not value that that was true and that that was real enough that they should not have done what they did and that they would not turn around and run back and humble themselves. Brother Branham would say it this way in condemnation by representation. He says, you say, Brother Branham, why should I? Why should God hold me responsible because one man represented me? Speaking of Adam, then I died because of that man sinned. That I'm a sinner by representation. He says, that's right. You're a sinner by representation. But he says, God doesn't hold you responsible for being a sinner. He don't hold you responsible because you lie and steal and do those things. He holds you. He doesn't hold you responsible for being a sinner. He holds you responsible because you don't help yourself. There's a way made for you and you reject the way that God laid down. That's what God condemns you for. There's a way of escape. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I say, this, is, this is really simple, right? We're talking about repentance. We're talking about these things. But I have to say these things to lay down a foundation to where we're going because we really are without excuse. And it's not that we should live a life where we never make a mistake. In these bodies, that's impossible. We have bodies that are, that are unredeemed bodies that are flesh and they're, they're, they're unredeemed and they make mistakes. Paul even writes in Romans chapter 7, he begins to say, I can't do it on my own. When I would do good, evil's present with me. No matter how much in me is, the, is God and the Spirit of Christ and how much my soul brings my spirit and even my body under subjection, still evil is present with me and goes everywhere I go. But now, as, as these men they, that we spoke about, they all came, and Cain even had a message. And it was that, that there was a bleeding lamb that covers the worshiper. That there was a bleeding lamb that he knew. Cain couldn't say, I didn't know. You with me? When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they were kicked out wearing bloody lambskins. That like God had slain a lamb and covered them over with the blood of the lamb in place of their own lives. He knew that this was the way it was. He knew that we, when we worship God in this way, when we come and bring our offering, it needs to be that someone needs to die for my sake. Yeah. 
There needs to be another life take my place because I'm not worthy to come into the presence of God. I need the blood of a lamb to cover me over. But Cain and all of that didn't value it enough. He didn't value the word of God. Instead, he valued his own thinking and his own way to saying and justifying himself, saying, but my way is just as good. And God ought to accept my way. And even when God refused it, he still felt God should have accepted it. And he ran out in that way and he refused it. Achan heard the word. Achan heard, don't touch the cursed thing of Jericho. Don't take it. Burn it all. But he didn't value that word. I'll say it this way. For a few dollars and a little bit of pleasure, he thought it was not important enough. For just a little something, the little bit of few shekels of silver, the few shekels of gold, the Babylonian garment, it wasn't very much. And for that little bit, he took the value of the word of God and says, it's not that important. Oh, my. Esau knew the value of the birthright. It was taught from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. It was taught to Esau. It was taught to Jacob. The value of the birthright. The firstborn is the one with the birthright. There's something to it. You're the one that's going to be my inheritor. I'm going to pass everything along to you. Isaac had taught it to them and taught it to them. I'm sure he knew that being a firstborn, there was a certain privilege that came with that. But in all of it, he thought, well, he began to recognize or He began to think that the word wasn't so important. What was important was he was going to get the blessing. Because to him, he was dwelling so much on the blessing of God, he was forgetting about the birthright. He was so much dwelling on, I want the good God, that he was forgetting that there has to be a birth into that God before you can get the blessings. That there has to be a new birth, which is often messy. There has to be something, a humbling of yourself, uh, uh, a bending of your own knee, and a, uh, a proclaiming that he is Lord here, and a, and a bowing down before God here, and a humbling yourself and coming to the foot of the cross. Those things have to take place if you want to get the blessing. But he was so busy focusing, well, because I'm the firstborn, I get the blessing. But when it came time that he said, well, what good does it do me if my flesh passes away? If I, get, if, I, if, if I have the birthright, because then what good does the blessing do without realizing it wasn't to do with the flesh? It was something that was deeper than that. It was down into the spiritual realm, down into the soul of a man that God was calling down into the soul. But Esau was just looking on the outside and he valued it at that level. Judas walked with Jesus for three and a half years. That just blows me away every time. He walked with God in flesh for three and a half years. The fullness of God was there, and Judas walked with him. Judas sat through sermon after sermon. Judas heard every single parable. Judas was there, and the demons were subject to him. Judas was there, and they came back. He said, but rejoice, for your name is written in the book of life. And Judas was one of them that was there. Judas heard all these things. I know that's nothing new to hear that you know these things because it's been preached before. But we know that Judas, he, was, he, was, he knew exactly what the word of God said. 
He sat under the teachings of Jesus. He knew what Jesus taught them more than even probably what was recorded in the Scripture when he spoke to the disciples just as themselves and began to talk about the Old Testament, about the prophets, and began to expound upon things. And they just began to, he was there. But he didn't put a value on it. To him, it was something that he realized I could sell it out for my own personal gain. And in the end, if he's really the God that he claims he is, then he'll just, he'll just call down legions of angels. Everything will be wonderful, and we'll all be the richer, and my, we could make a money-making scheme out of this. It's kind of like, you know, Brother Ed mentioned the chosen this morning. I was showing my sons a little clip of the miracle of the fishes, you know. When, when, they, when he said, cast your net back in the water, and... They pulled it full of fishes, and as they walked away, you know, Peter says, we can do this a few more times, you know. You know, it's, we can make a good lot of money out of this. You know, Judas got hung up on that. Said, well, well, we can make a lot of money out of this, you know. I mean, if, if he's got all of heaven at his command, if he was before Abraham was, I am. If he's the I am, then I am. If he was the one that was in the burning bush, if he's all this, my, we can make a little bit of money out of this. He was justifying himself by his own means, in his own mind. But every one of them had an omission of guilt. But every one of them had justified themselves in their own mind until it was too late. Thinking, but God is a gracious God. Oh, what a testimony it would have been if Jesus would have just called down the angels. and We would have just had a wonderful time. Brother Branham says, remembering the Lord, he makes a little statement. He says, so people tonight holler about Judas that sold him out for personal gain. And so many do the same thing today. Sell him for personal gain. That's a very straight statement. It's in 1962. Brother Branham makes this statement. We always want to ball him out and say, well, you know, he did this. And I mean, you can say the same thing about Thomas. So many people want to ball out Thomas. Thomas, that doubter. If you just would have believed. But meanwhile, we got this idea that, well, if we don't see it, we don't want to believe it. Lord, help us. That we never get that way. If I don't see a miracle, are you with me? Amen. This is really straight. That's why I said it may not be your average Sunday night where we rejoice and... But now, I want to just take a few moments and just tell you about a man. I was just thinking about it the last, probably about the last month. I seen a little picture and just pictures worth a thousand words. And maybe I should have brought the picture with me. But I was thinking there was a man one time that built the cross. Somebody had to put that together. Perhaps he was just a businessman trying to feed his family. Uh, he, was just, uh, he was just there every day, and he, he, he was a carpenter, and he built little things. And then here one day come this Roman soldier and said, we got a contract for you. You know, we got a lot of these, these trespassers or, or transgressors, and we'd like you to build some crosses for us. Because this is our thing, and you know, we'll pay you handsomely, and you don't need to worry about the rest of it. We'll just pay you for these crosses. You just make the crosses, and we'll, we'll put them up here. And so he thought, well, this is a great government contract. I'll just sign on the dotted line. You know, they got that today. You want this grant, you got to agree with this. Just for a few dollars and a good time. Lord, help me. 
He was just a businessman trying to feed his family, trying to put fruit on the table. Perhaps even his wife one day said, you know, I, I don't like the way you're doing this. I, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Maybe they're hanging our people. Maybe we shouldn't be building these crosses. Up. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this for them. And, you know, we know and we need the money. But, but really, and then maybe the man come down and said, but if we don't do this, honey, then you're going to have to get a job to help support us. You with me still? You understand, I'm just talking about the, the average day. Joe, if I could call it that. We'll call him Simon because it was back in those days. Simon, uh, he was just there and he was, he was a good man. He wanted to feed his family and, then, and there was the struggles in the home. They said, well, we, we're not going to be able to pay our taxes. But with this certain contract, they're going to give us tax exemptions. And we're going to get some extra deals with the government. We're going to get some extra things. We just got to sign here. We just got to, it'll all be okay, honey. Nothing's going to matter. But he didn't realize that one day he was going to build a cross. And that cross wasn't just going to be used for a transgressor. That was going to be used for one who was counted among the transgressors. Because he forgot about the word of God. In Isaiah chapter 53, where it talked about the Lamb of God. That would be take our sin upon him and our iniquity upon him. And in there, right down the bottom, in the last verse, it says that he would be counted among the transgressors. In other words, his penalty would be like those. And he didn't recognize, maybe, just maybe, my cross might be used for the wrong idea. Maybe it'll come back on me. But I'm sure as maybe he beheld the cross that day and he realized they're hanging this one, the one who's done nothing wrong. It was supposed to be for a man named Barabbas. But now there's this one hanging on and I built that cross. How those words must have been so much sweeter for him when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But I say unto you, you can go into Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4 because now it's come so much beyond that. So much farther than just one or two scriptures in the Old Testament that talked about his death and how exactly he would die. But rather it goes beyond that. We're now talking to Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4, Brother Mark, where it says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened to have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been partakers of the Holy Ghost. And have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they should fall away. To renew them again unto repentance. Seeing they crucified to themselves the son of God afresh. And put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain. And it cometh oft upon it. And bringeth forth herbs meat for them by, by whom it is dressed receiveth the blessing from God, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. Brother Brennan would talk about a cistern. and he would say that you can't get good water and sour water out of the same cistern. So there's something coming out of it that's sour. If there's wiggle tails in it, you're not going to dip the bucket in next time and get clean water. If what's on the inside isn't clean, the rest of it isn't clean, and it's got to be completely cleaned out, scoured out. In order to be able to put clean water in it and it stay clean. I just threw that scripture in there. We'll come back to it in a minute. But let's go back to Mark chapter 14, if you will.
I'll say this, the scripture, this service didn't come together till this morning, even though, as I said, I seen a picture about a month ago. I just put this on my heart and was praying about it, wrestling with it, and then this morning it just kind of all came together. So this is the time, but I don't know who it's for. Mark chapter 14, verse 43, talks about the betrayal of Jesus. It says, and immediately, while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. It's a great multitude that's come up. It's not just Judas that came with a couple of soldiers. There's a lot of people there. If you go over into John chapter 18, which recalls the same account, we find it's, they find it's a, a large group that comes, but I can't remember the exact word. But say, oh, a band of men that comes in John chapter 18, which they say a band of men, according to the Romans, was the same as a cohort. Strange word. A cohort family that now, sorry, it was the same as a cohort that came. They said it's about three to 600. So there's a large group, at least that many, that came up. Swords and staves, clubs, torches, all coming up to, to take captive the, 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 the light of the world. They're coming with malicious intent. They're not carrying clubs on their back. They're not coming with swords. They're not coming with torches just to have a nice party. To congratulate him on his triumphal entry. To try and coax them back into the city so they can make them king. They came with malicious intent. And with all this malicious intent, if you read it from John chapter 18, you find that they came and said, we seek this one. He says, I'm he. And they fell back. And they came again. He said, I'm he. And they fell back again. They, they, they were so terrified because they were coming to the Lord for that day. And they were recognizing, how are we going to do this? But in, ver in the very next verses, and he that betrayed him had given him a token saying, whomsoever I shall kiss, and the same as he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come and goeth straightway, he goeth straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and they took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword. And it must be Peter. And he smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are you come out? As against the thief, with swords and with staves to take me, I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not, and this, that, but the scripture must be fulfilled. Amen. Oh my. That what were they doing at all this time? They were fulfilling scripture. That there was some that, that could not be broken, which is the word of God. And in all of it, that they were walking exactly according to the scripture, but they didn't even recognize it. And they took, and they all, and the very next verse says, and they all forsook him and fled. So this is something that the disciples now are terrified. Peter, James, John, the great man that got up, cut his, cut, took the sword, cut his ear off, and Jesus bent down, picked the ear back up, put it back on him. Hallelujah. Replaced his ear and all of that. And here now he comes and says, something come over them that now they start running away. And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. 
And the young man laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. This was a terrifying time for everyone that was following Jesus at this time. But I want to just take this for a quick moment, and I hope you recognize this, that, that, that here is the word for their day. It didn't flee. It stood its ground recognizing that the scripture must be fulfilled. But all those that were not yet put into that word, that were not yet born into Jesus Christ, they fled away without a life on the inside. To them, the value wasn't worth their own life. They thought, well, we, we can't take this. We can't do this on our own. And they ran away. They took off. This is too many for us. But Jesus, the whole time, if you read John chapter 18 again, Jesus the whole time knew that they were coming. John chapter Jesus says, for Jesus knew all things, and he knew that the one was to betray him was on his way up, that he was coming to betray him. So he knew this was all going to happen, so he wakes him up. And Matthew, in recorded council where he wakes him up, says, why do you slumber? Why do you sleep? Peter, James, and John, he gone up to pray. He said, behold, the hour has come. The one who's betrayed me is nigh. So get up. Come on. You're going to want to see this. And what do they look? They, they turn around. They run away. And there's a young man, probably Mark. Because in all the confusion, he remembers this one little detail. There just happened to be this young man there in linen cloth or flax cloth that he just took off. And so much terrified that when they took a hold of him, he wiggled right out of his clothes and took off naked. They were terrified. Bring that for a point now. In the message, the seal of the Antichrist, but the Brenham says, come right on up, them believers, just like Cain. They could come as far as their leader, Judas, comes. Be very fundamental in doctrine. But when it comes to the place of separation, God draws a line. Now, I want you to notice that. A man doesn't draw a line. The church doesn't draw a line. The devil doesn't draw a line. Oh, the devil hates lines. He wants to infiltrate everything. But God draws a line. It says, man must be born again. You've got to be. When it comes to being born again and receiving the experience, then men say, oh, that's fanaticism. There's nothing to it. That's the reason they can't believe in the supernatural. That's the reason they can't believe in divine healing and the working of the Spirit. They believe the Scripture in a way of mental thinking. They believe it intellectually, but they can't believe it from their heart until the Holy Spirit comes in and takes over the human heart. That's really the truth. Now you could take Acts chapter 5, where it talks about Peter in verse 28 talks about those that were brought before the council. Now, you know what happened, right? We just talked about how they came with, with a great multitude and they took Jesus and all of his disciples fled. Now you go down into Acts and what happens on the day of Pentecost? They get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and now you go down to Acts chapter 5 where now these same men that fled. Okay, understand this. They'd sat with Jesus for three and a half years. If you were going to debate the words of Jesus with anybody, you were going to debate it with them, and they knew it forwards and backwards. They'd been with him. They'd watched him. They knew his mannerisms. They knew exactly how he acted. But when push came to shove, they ran. But now after the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, chapter 2, and baptized them all within, and they come out from there with something on the inside. 
with a different value on the gospel. Where now they recognize there ain't nothing that can hinder me but what God at first allows. That they recognize that no weapon formed against me shall prosper, not because of my own flesh, but because of something on the inside that's now pushing me. And they brought them before the scribes, and they says, did not we tell you? Put that up there with the mark. Acts chapter 5, verse 28. Saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach this? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the other apostles answered and said to him, we ought to obey God rather than man. That's a stark contrast. That's a big change from going back to Mark and John chapter 18 when they all ran the other direction and said, here comes men and they're going to enforce their law upon us. We better run. But now when God come on the inside, they said, no, we got to obey what's going on right here. we got to obey what God's telling us to do. I can't hold my peace any longer. You can put me in prison. You can lock me up. You can even kill me. My blood will cry out from the grave because there's a life in me just like Elisha. My, they killed him, and he was dead that day, but then he had bones in the grave, but even the bones. They threw a man on that bones, and they rose up again and said, come on, let's go fight. Hallelujah. Oh, a difference before and after the new birth. The difference, where does that difference start? Being able to come to a true repentance. Being able to humble yourself and come before God and recognize I'm impossible to do it on my own. Let me take the least place, Lord. Let me be the lowest of your servants. Let me just be a servant. I'm not even worthy that you be called the son. Let me just be a servant. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 5, says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. Hallelujah. He didn't go and choose the great man of the world. He chose the poor of this world that could be rich in faith. That would have to trust God. The Bible says in the marriage of the Lamb. He says that's what the matter with the church today. Universally speaking that she needs a scouring out. A filling up with God's holy waters from heaven. Her heart become a cesspool of everything that comes along. She's got lovers of all kinds. And the Bible said she, she'd have lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Truth breakers, false accusing, continent, and despisers of those that are good. See, a woman that tries to love, live right and a man that tries to live right, he becomes a holy roller. Yeah. See, Brother Andrew, that's not in message churches. Oh, I wish it wasn't. When you find one, really give themselves over to God and really serve God under the auspices of the Holy Spirit and give his life over. Everyone else is standing back going, I don't know about him. He seems a little much. We'll wait a little bit. Maybe something will happen to him. We don't know for sure. And that's, you know what, it's okay to be cautious. It's okay to be a little bit cautious, but don't be overly cautious when you realize, oh, you put something off and say, he's something else. But when you see God moving and you see the image of Christ being born by an individual, support it. Right. She becomes a fanatic or some old-fashioned something. She's a castaway. She despises and rejected by the people of the world. But did you ever notice what the real church is supposed to do in the Old Testament? 
They had a sacrifice where they killed one bird and put the blood on the other bird. The dead mate, and it flew across the earth, spreading the blood of that dead mate. There was no way that that bird could deny the blood. Every time it flapped its wings, the blood splattered, the blood sprayed. It couldn't deny it for a moment. It was its entire life spreading out its wings and crying out, Holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. Her atmosphere, every bit of her will, oh my, every bit of her was the will of God. Her whole makeup will be of God. You don't expect nothing else. I say that as a minister of the gospel. I don't expect the Holy Spirit to do anything else in an individual's life than turn their life around and kick out all the trash. And to make it so their life cries holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. Not so that their life is a life of convenience. It was convenient to Achan. But it said separate yourself. I read the quote. It said God draws the line. We don't draw it and push it here and push it there and say, but I want this in my line and I want that in my line. God draws the line and he says, you must be born again. This is the bloodline. Satan can't come across it onto here. So you got to stay over here. I love the way Brother Ed put it this morning. Sometimes we step out. By our conversation. We step out by our deeds. We say something that invites the devil into our life. Lord, help us to be so sold out so our entire life, our whole makeup, our whole makeup is of God. Sold out to the word. Brother Andrew, I know that sounds a lot like you just take from this, take it from that. Well, let's take some scriptures, shall we? Take a few scriptures, then we'll close. I said I don't want to keep you too long. How am I doing? 708, good. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 22, Paul writes, it says, To the weak become I as weak. Sometimes that's hard to take. We want to try to say to the weak, listen, I'm strong. Be like me. He says, no, to the weak, I'm weak. I come to their level, speak to them where they're at. That I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some of them. Well, the Brown, when he witnessed the people, he would just begin to talk about something that they were interested in. He didn't go around there and say, listen, don't you understand that I'm the prophet of the age, and this and this and this and that? Don't you know Malachi 4 and Revelation 10, 7? Don't you understand this? No. He just began to talk to them. Oh, they like automobiles. Yeah, I got so multi-forward, and we got this, and we did that. Yeah. He just began to talk to them about something they enjoyed about until finally an opportunity arose. That they could be, you could begin to say something. Oh, well, the Lord did this for me. Oh, that's interesting. Amen. Amen. Verse 23 says, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not they which run in all, run in a race, run all. In other words, those that run in a race, those, if you're going to run a race, sell out to the race. If you're going to prep for a marathon, you don't just run a kilometer every month. So when the marathon comes, I'll be ready. Probably not. 
You're going to run that kilometer and be winded by the end of it. And you're like, man, I don't know if I'm ready for I should have run a half a marathon or a quarter or an eighth. Or a... But if you're going to run a race, run all. Put everything into it. It says, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. Run that you may win. Don't run and say, well, you know what? I'm going to train, and I'm going to train so that I get fourth place. That's my aim. I'm, I'm aiming for fourth place. The first forgettable first person. You remember who got gold. You remember who got silver. You remember who got bronze. But who came in fourth? No idea. They didn't even publish it. Nobody's aiming for that. And the one who won third, he's not aiming for third. The one who got second, he wasn't aiming for second. He was pushing for that first place. I used to race when I was a kid. I used to race cross-country skiing. Believe it or not. I used to race cross-country skiing. I loved it. it was, I was very, very good at it, actually. And I got down to a race, and I knew I wasn't going to catch the first place. God had an accident right at the beginning of the race, and I had to give it everything. And some of you will understand this if you ever cross-country ski, but I did something called skate skiing. So you didn't just run your skis like this. You, you skated like, a, like you're out skating on an ice rink, but with big, long skis on your feet. You could go a lot faster that way. But then I did something. You, you, usually you'd, you had poles, and you'd push every second glide. So you'd glide, and then push on the second one. Glide, push on the second one. But then you do something called double polling. So you literally push every single time. Every time your foot moves, you push. You push. So I had an accident. The very, right at the beginning, I, we had the tracks come together. Forgive me for going off on a story, but I think it's good to help you understand. But we had the tracks. Right at the beginning, there wasn't enough for the amount of people. There were so many. I, I can't remember how many. Close to 100 people in the race. And right at the beginning of the race, two of the tracks came together. And I happened to be in that one that ended. I turned. There was a girl beside me. And I said, don't get in front of me. I will run you over. That was what I said. And she looked at me and said, don't get in front of me. I will run you over. Because both of us were aiming for first place. Neither of us entered that race thinking, you know, I'm just happy to be in the race. I'm just happy to be here. No, both of us were going, I'm going to win this race. So don't get in my way. Because I'm going to go right over top of you. We're just going to keep going. So sure enough, we get right to those. We hit each other. We collided next to everybody's, everybody's gone. And now I'm in the back or second back because I got out first. And I said, this wasn't very gentlemanly. No, it wasn't very gentlemanly. But what I did, I got untangled from here and I said, see you later. I'm here to win the race. You with me? That was my purpose of being there. That was her purpose of being there. She's older than me too, by the way. But anyways, we got down there and then I said, oh, I've got to go. So sure enough, I got out there and the whole race long, I can't remember how many kilometers it was, the whole race long, I'm double pulling. Every shot, I boom, 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 as hard as I can go. By the end of, by, by the time you're halfway around, I'm just panting, I'm out of exhaustion, but I said, I'm here to win the race and I wouldn't give up for the life of me. Pass this one, pass that one, pass this group, pass that group, pass that group, pass that group. Come right up, I'm in third place. Coming down to the very last corner. And I, and I, I really, I got what I deserved because I get down to the last corner and there's a guy second place in front of me and I say, I'm passing, I'm passing. And when someone says that, you're supposed to get out of the way. You're supposed to move into the tracks because he's coming by. And he sees the finish line around the corner, so he thinks, no, no, no. So he stays right in front of me. So I said, okay, so I go off to the side into the tracks where now I'm pulling like cross-country skiing, and I'm trying to get in front of him, and I'm pushing with everything I got, and he puts his ski right out in front of me and trips me. So I managed to get up. I managed to win third place. But I was aiming for first place. I was giving it everything I got, but everybody else was too. 
I wasn't the only one in the race saying, get out of my way. This is me. I'm going to win this race. I'm the one. I'm the person that's going to win. Everybody in that race was saying, I'm the one. I'm the one. Get out of my way. I'm going to trip you. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this work. He says, when you run the race, everybody in the race is running that way. So you've got to give it everything you've got. No matter how much exhausted you are, you feel like, I just can't go on. I've been pushing with everything I have. Give it another push. Keep pushing a little bit harder. Keep going a little bit harder. You with me? All right, I pulled you all back in with a story. Good. It says, And every man that striveth for the mastery of temperate th- and, uh, is temperate in all things. But now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Can I just say something about being a little bit, get out of my way or run you over? I, I take it that way in the spiritual race too. Satan, get out of my way or I'll run you over. Okay? I believe a Christian's got to have that attitude sometimes. Satan... You belong under my feet, so if you're going to get in my way, I'm just going to step on you. Because I'm running a race, and I'm running for first place. Amen. But it says, therefore, so run, not as, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Oh, my even in all of this, he says, I got to keep my body in subjection. I got to bring this flesh that thinks I just need a convenience for a season. I bring it back under subjection and realize I'm here for a purpose. That purpose is to run a race for the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. He doesn't talk about it. We've got this great cloud of witnesses. Let's put on a show for a couple dollars and a good time. No, he says, let's run the race. Put your head down. Lay aside the weight and the sin that would so easily beset us. Push toward the mark. Run for the prize. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Chapter 6 talks about a lot of the ways of men in the world today. But in verse 11 it says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. He keeps bringing that up over and over again. Run the race. Fight the fight. I don't fight in vain. I don't fight as I'm being in the air. But I fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. In other words, it is a fight. We heard the song this morning, God bless Sister Andrew, but we know he never promised that there wouldn't be a fight. But he said, I'll fight for you. Hallelujah. You've got to stay under the blood of Jesus Christ. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Jesus Christ, who before Pontius Pilate. How many ever been brought before the ruler of the land to testify? No, me neither. There's some brothers in China that have been brought. But here comes Jesus before the ruler of the land to testify with his life at stake. And he says, he had a good witness. He witnessed a good confession. 
is that thou keep this commandment as best as you can. No. It says, without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. How am I ever going to do that, Brother Andrew? It's so simple. It starts at the cross. It starts down on our knees saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I made mistakes, but Lord, I'm not even worthy to be your son, but Lord, just let me do. Let me just be in your presence. Let him lift you up. Let's go to one more scripture and then we'll close. Psalms chapter 63. Church, in this end time, we ought to be so on fire for God. Amen. We ought to be doing everything we can for the kingdom of God. Amen. Not laying aside and being lax and saying, well, you know, we just can't do it. You know, we just done the best we can. God's a good God. God understands. What God understands is he understands his word. Amen. And he understands that we ought to be about the Father's business. If he himself at 12 years old, having not even been baptized yet, had to be about the Father's business, what about us? The Lord, I'm without excuse. I don't want my life to be so caught up in a web of trying to get ahead in this life that I forget and I don't even realize I'm building him a cross. You just forgive me for this. If, if this hurts you, I'm sorry, but it is what it is. It just causes me so much to go on my knees before God. I say this as your brother, but to go on my knees before God and say, Lord, what have we come to? But I look and there's, we're allowed 50, what, seven people? And there's empty seats. But Andrew, do you blame me? No, it just drives me to my knees and say, oh God, what am I doing wrong? Is there something I'm not doing? Am I not preaching it hard enough? Am I not preaching straight enough? Is there something I got to do better? The church directory has got 200 and something people on it. Only about 57, there's empty spots. God have mercy on us. Try and sit there and say, oh, the Lord understands. God have mercy. Psalm 63. So God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary because thy loving kindness is better than life. Is that our cry, church? Thy loving kindness, God, is better than life. To be in the presence of Almighty God, just to hear his words, to be in prayer before him, it's better than anything else I have. It's more important than the next breath that I, live, that I breathe. God, bring us to this place where he says, my lips shall praise thee. 
Oh, thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. I think about it, Brother Ed talking about it, saying we just need to clap our hands and worship the Lord. We shouldn't have to pull for that. It should be something in the individual pushing out, saying I want to pull on the word. I want to preach. I want to see God move. I want to lift up my hands. I want to clap. If I can only play a 10-string instrument, let me play it to the best of my ability. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Not in vain. Not for show. But because there's something in me that wants to worship God. That wants to give him my everything and give him my all. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. While I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Oh my, there's many other things happening in the night watches today. Lord, let our meditation be on him. Not on the relaxation, try to figure out how we can relax in the night and what we can watch, what we can read, what we can waste away our life and say, God, let my meditation, let me consume my thoughts with things that are pure. This is because thou hast been my help. Who else has been our help? We got governments trying to shut us down. You got people complaining. Who else has been our help? Who else can we praise but the one true God? To turn to him and say, God, you've been my help. I couldn't help myself. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Let me stay under the blood of Jesus. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Oh, but those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be the portion for the foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Hallelujah. It puts us in a place, a time of decision to say, am I going to give him my all? Am I going to really come to him and just give him my all and say, God, let my every life be for you? Am I going to stop like Achan and say, but this little bit doesn't matter? Try and sell it out like Judas to try and say, but this, I just want to make a little extra money. We'll sell it out for what it is and it'll be okay. It's the gospel of God. It'll still go on. It's the Holy Spirit. You can't stop the Holy Spirit. You heard that this morning. It'll still go on. So what is it for one person? You find out what happened in that story of Achan when one person got out of place. They suffered a defeat and men died. So is it today just in the spiritual when one person gets out of place while claiming to be in place? A hypocrite. Other people begin to be tripped up by that and they die spiritually. Oh God. We need to make straight the path of Jehovah. We'll save it for another service, but I was going to go into Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 19, and Luke chapter 14. Three great multitudes. One of them the foolish virgin, one of them the bride, and one of them the unbelievers coming to fight against. But he says, the battle is the Lord's. 
Don't be concerned for the great multitude. Be concerned that you follow after me. Think about it, Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20. It was Jehoshaphat that came in a great enemy, a great multitude, the scripture says. But God told them, don't worry about the great multitude. I'll fight the battle. The battle's not yours. And they went out, what did they do? They went out singing and rejoicing. Before the battle even started, before they ever had any battle, they just went out singing and praising God, saying, we're of a different multitude. We're of this multitude with the staves and the sticks and all the swords and the little flickering lights. We got a burning, a bright and a shining light. Oh, my. Are we sold out to it, though? Have we sold out to it? For his bride, our whole, our whole mannerism is not to be exactly like him. We say, oh, praise the God, I'm born again. Are you? I'm not here to question your experience. I'm here to really make you think. Say, has God really changed my life? Maybe there's just something the size of a fingernail down in my life, and I need to surrender more to that. Maybe that's where we're at as a church, that we just need to take it and say, God, you've done a work. I've had an experience. I've had a birth, but I need to lay aside all the weight, all the things that I'm trying to drag along with me. Say, but I like it, but I like it, but I like it. God, take it away. Cut away the excess. The Holy Spirit is a circumcision of the heart. Oh, if the musicians would come. Lord, prepare me. To be a sanctuary, pure, holy, tried, and found to be true. Oh, my, don't let me walk after my own way. Don't let me be found in the, in the, with the haughtiness of my heart. Don't let me devalue it like, like Esau devalued it and said, what good is it with my flesh is no good? It's still good. You might not be able to walk very good. You might not be able to run very good. You might not have a very good flesh. But if there's something on the inside. That's right. Amen. Hallelujah. You might say, you don't know my circumstances on the outside. My marriage is falling apart. My home is falling apart. This is, but if there's something on the inside. If there's a Holy Spirit in you, you can't overcome. Amen. Say, but it might not fix everything. You can't help what others do. But you can help what you do. Oh my, Lord, prepare me. Let's stand to our feet. Lord, prepare
here present or whether you're in your home, I believe it's time for just a greater consecration, a separation. We don't draw the line and decide. This is where the blood of Jesus covers. God draws that line. And it's up to us to pray and say, Lord, keep me under the blood. Lord, let me stay under the blood. Maybe you just want to raise your hand to him and say, Lord, I've stepped out. Forgive me. Cover me over with the blood of Jesus again tonight. Don't let me walk out tomorrow. Don't let me even leave this place. Don't let me turn off my screen tonight without recognizing, Lord, I need to be under the blood. I need your Holy Spirit to lead and guide me in every step. Not just the big decisions, but Lord, the little decisions. Lord, help me, oh God, that Brother Branham would describe that someone could get the mark of the beast without even knowing it. Lord, help me to be so caught up in your word that I wouldn't be scared of it. I wouldn't be caught away with something without recognizing I'm building a cross for the very God I claim to serve. Lord, don't ever find me in that place. Lord Jesus, you see every heart, Lord, both here and those that are streaming in. Lord, you know you laid this on my heart even this afternoon as I struggled with it. Just didn't want to really bring it this way. But Lord, you had it come in this way. Father, we need more of you. We need the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, no matter how long, Lord. It's just your grace that there's some of us that were born into a message home. Got message grandparents and we've got a good lineage, a good heritage. But Lord, that's just your grace that far. And we need more grace, oh God, that you would cover us over, Lord, because that's not going to take us in. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord. We need a burning in our souls, oh God, for more of you, Lord. We need to be walking under the Holy Spirit, Lord, to recognize who we are. It's not a one-off thing, but it's a life. Father, we need you. Lord, I pray you come by as I pray at the beginning to come by every pew. Even now, Lord Jesus, may you just come by everyone and reassure them in their heart. Lord, that they would know where they're standing tonight. If there be any sin, if there be anything that's been hidden, Father, may they repent, oh God, and start back at the foot of the cross again and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for where I got wrong. Lord, we need you. We need your grace and mercy. We commit ourselves into your hands, Lord, that you do the work. And prepare us, Lord, that you would come and dwell within us. In the name of Jesus Christ. Mercy rewrote my life. Mercy.
I'm not going to hold you, but I'm just thinking about that, that great multitude coming to Ju- with Judas to come and take Jesus. That was the word for that day, standing there. And he saw it coming afar off. The word in our day, seen something coming. Seen a danger, seen a squeeze, seen a persecution that's coming. I'm here to ask you, are you ready? Will you stand like they did in the book of Acts and say, I got to do what God told me to do first. I got to bear the image of God more than I have to bear the image of Caesar. That's my Lord. That's my God. Or are we going to go like they did there when they came with that great multitude and run for the hills? Where do we stand? Where do you stand? I'm not going to hold you. I'm not going to ask for an altar call or a show of hands or anything. I believe the Lord's speaking to you. I better make sure that I'm sincere and I'm standing on the right side of the line. Let's just change it just a little bit as we go and I'll just dismiss it with this song. Let the worshipers arise. Father, I see you're drawing a line in the sand. Let me be standing on his side. Not just standing there idly. Let me hold his hand. And don't let go. Father, I see that you're drawing a line in the sand. And I want to be standing on your side. This is my place. This is my place.